going on y'all welcome in to a brand new hold that podcast podcast it is tuesday august 4th we are into august wow it's kind of crazy to say out loud uh, i'm your host t bob Bear. i'm joined as i am every week by my ghost the athletics brody miller brody what's up dude well t bob it's actually a pretty big day in the in the miller household because my peloton arrived about 20 minutes ago um, hey so nice. the second this podcast is over i'm gonna I'm going to pop my, my Peloton cherry. So do you have any, any advice going in? Uh, the, okay. One, one thing I would say is um, don't be, and maybe because I'm a big guy, this affected me more, yeah, but just yeah. don't be completely turned off by by how bad, um, I, I I don't want to use the word because, whatever, like like the, the area right in your butt. Yeah. Okay. The taint. I don't know what else to say. It's it. a taint. That, that's going to yeah. hurt. Yes. Okay. We're that's going to hurt. That word. I love it. Um, that that's going to hurt, uh, but you will get used to it right. over time, and and then you're gonna feel like a beast because like you're gonna feel yourself getting better and more used to the spin. Uh, nice man, I'm very excited for you. See, Big I, day. I love it because I thought you were just gonna give me some like generic, boring advice about like working hard, and I thought you you actually gave me sincerely practical advice. So thank you, T Bob. No, like I, I my was hurting so bad that I wanted to like maybe just quit, and it's why I've avoided spin up until this point in my life, but I kind of get it. Now, like once you stick with it for a little bit, you get used to it. And, and I bought a pad and then I never used the pad because there's actually more comfortable by the time a pad arrived because I was already used to it. So there you go. Uh, all right. So all don't right. shy away from taint pain. Uh, this print podcast sh- print the shirts. Is, host- <laughs> is, is hosted by The Athletic. Thank you for letting us do this, Athletic. Uh, go to <laughs> athletic.com. I don't know if they will anymore after that open. Yeah. <laughs> Go to, to athletic.com slash hold that podcast, sign up, 40% off sign up deal. Um, it helps us and it helps you because the athletic is the best sports site, like hands down, best talent, no ads. It's incredible. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, the shape of college football is starting to become clearer now. Um, uh, the, the, the news of the last week is that the ACC – has gone conference only and added Notre Dame to the conference, which is wild. Uh, the SEC is going conference only. And as we sit here today on August 4th, uh, the Big 12 as well has now gone to a, a nine plus one conference only sort of schedule. So, Brody, I'll, I'll start here. With all this news, like it, it kind of feels like to me this is less surprising as much as it is the realization of what seemed most likely ever since the Big Ten first got out there and declared. Absolutely. I think I think it's a good way to put it. And I mean at the end of the day my takeaway is and this can be right or wrong, you can take this how you want, but these kind of moves to me mean like football will at least start. You know, like I don't know if it's gonna go well. I don't I not not that optimistic overall, but I mean the idea is that the fact they're doing this means like they are really going full throttle and they are doing everything they can to just make sure some football gets played this year. Now there's even conversations that maybe we can get to if you want of, of now there's like suggestions that the actual schedule itself might change. And now like the big rivalry games might go to week one. I don't know if that's, 
ballot or not. But the idea is like they're just oh, wow. trying to make sure football might happen this season. So yeah, I do think it's going to happen, which I guess depending on how you view it is a positive. And I mean, sure, I don't want I don't want non conference games to go away by any means, but. I, I can't deny that if a full 10-game season happens, it is going to be pretty fun to be actually watch 10 legitimately competitive football games every weekend. Yeah, I think, um, I think I would almost preface this conversation with saying that I am going to look at it uh, from a very – well, I mean, we might have a couple things kind of surrounding protocols, but like when we talk about the actual football, I'm just going to talk about it from a football standpoint. Um, there is absolutely health risk involved, and there is a deeper conversation to be had, I think, about the ethics and morals of these players not being paid and, and, and you know, being basically shuttled into these situations. Uh, but, but, but that said, we, we, you know, we can have that conversation a different time. Because I do think it's also kind of fascinating, just from a pure football perspective, to look at this a, a 10 game conference only schedule and how that changes the dynamics. Because, how about this, Brody? I, I believe firmly that a 10 game, not even knowing who LSU plays in those 10 games, that a 10 game SEC only schedule actually sounds way more attractive from a viewer standpoint than does a normal 12 ga- or 12 game schedule. Well, first off, yeah, I completely agree. I'd rather watch 10 good games than six good games and like five, four, you know, like kind of okay games and two bad ones. I, I completely agree. And I, I, I think it's just not even just from like an LSU season point of view. It's the idea of you turn on the TV at one o'clock and you know for sure there's going to be at least, you know, several games that you just actually care about watching. You know, like it, yeah. it's, it's knowing that it's going to be Kentucky versus, I don't know, like Auburn instead of. Auburn versus New Mexico State or something like that. And, and just the, that concept being built in, I mean, I'm always, you know, I think you and I are on the same page. I'm always going to choose college football over the NFL in almost every single way. But the only thing the NFL really has going for it is that every week, you know, like the game you're playing is going to genuinely be in like a good matchup. And I think if, you know, I don't think college football is going to stay here forever, but I do think this provides that. And, and then what we're going to get to, and I'll let you, I guess, jump in first, but I want to discuss how much harder do you, do you think this make is better for LSU or worse for LSU? Sorry, Brody. One more time. Um, my <laughs> incredible babysitter, Ansley. She is the absolute best. She really is. 12 years old and takes care of two kids while we podcast. Uh, she was asking for a passy. What was that question? <laughs> well, my question was, I mean, so do you think move, the move to a conference-only schedule, do you think that makes life harder for LSU or easier for LSU because you're removing the Texas game, of course, but you're adding two SEC games. It's, I mean, I think it's harder for everyone off the bat, and so LSU falls into that. But it is less hard for them because the Texas game was one of like where it's 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 less harder for them than would be other schools because you already had such a quality game in the Texas game that will be removed. And that, and that's obviously before knowing uh, opponents. One thing else that I love is it's not only that you're going to have matchups that you care about every Saturday, uh, but you are also you, you're going to be doing the same thing that I'm loving about the NBA bubble right now, where you are going to be standing watching constantly. Like like every single yep. game will have a very relevant impact on the SEC standings. And, and so there will be way more storylines of, well, if this beat team beats this team then the, these two teams shift and this tiebreaker comes into play and so like the same way that I'm cheering Shake Milton 
as he prevents another <laughs> 76ers collapse because he then beats the Spurs, even though the 76ers are in the East, Spurs are in the West. And now as a Pelicans fan, I'm super excited because the Spurs get knocked down a peg and that helps me out. Like, yeah, maybe I end up watching, uh, you know, that Auburn, Kentucky, not just because I would because I like those schools, but also because I need Auburn to lose. And like, let's go. Now I have a rooting interest. I want Kentucky to somehow pull this thing off. And and that that will become uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, because I think my fear when I first heard this was, you know, that it would become a little more NFL-esque in the sense of, you know, the thing I love about college football most is that every game, every week, like, sincerely matters. And if you lose one game, that throws off your entire season. And I, in the NFL, you know, you, know you, you expect to lose at least four games on an average year, anywhere between four and, like, eight. So I, I think that my fear was going to be, like, man, is this going to reduce that because you're going to see more, like, top teams going seven and three and eight and two? That's not really what I want. But, but the more I thought about it, and honestly, just listening to you talk really kind of swayed me that – Maybe it makes every game matter even more because it's only 10 games and every single game is a genuine challenge. You know, it's unless, well, except for your thoughts on Vanderbilt and Arkansas. But, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I do think that's like actually going to be more fascinating in that every, there's no tune up game. There's no, I mean, like you have to be locked in 10 weeks out of the year and like you're, you might be thinking, well, Missouri's only two and five this year, so I'm not worried about them, but that's still a pretty solid SEC program and that's. That's what's going to make this so fascinating on a week-to-week basis. So you've kind of you've swayed me a little bit. And, and think about it: even Vandy and Arkansas oh, yeah. punch up one weekend a year, 100%, right? Yeah. And so and so, like now they have a better chance of maybe doing that even twice. Now, now here's where it becomes a bit fascinating because you're right in the NFL thing in that all of a sudden uh, eight and two like may be really good. Might be right? number one. Whereas, yeah. Yes, exactly. Could be number one, and, and then so. I guess the question becomes, let's let's say that we do choose a college football playoff when this is all said and done. Do you adjust your expectations for the uh do do you adjust your expectations for the playoff? Like 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 if d- does an 8 and 2 team out of the SEC count for more than like a 9 and 1 team out of the Pac-12? Yeah, and first off the answer is yes. And but I mean this almost I think we talked about this about 2 or 3 weeks ago about how like it's going to make the college football playoff discussion more fun than ever, but with that it also makes it more of a headache than ever because we think that yeah. there's like all this like well, you know, like this relativism with conferences now can you just um yeah I mean I'm I'm just backing up what you're saying here but can you imagine the idea of like a, a nine and one Big Ten team that's only lost as Ohio State you know for the mm. fourth for the fourth spot versus a seven and three SEC team that you know lost to Bama Auburn and LSU but man they beat they beat Florida and A and M you know like and it's just like that is going to be a real debate that happens and it's going to be the old you know, like what what does a nine and one Pac twelve team even look like or an ACC yeah, team yeah that, that 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 would be interesting to me because I think I think in the Big Ten the nine and one Big Ten versus seven and three right, SEC, that was a bad I, I do yeah, yeah. but but no you're absolutely right like God, nine and one be. Pac twelve versus seven and three SEC that's going to be just a, a, a there will be blood on both sides of that argument yeah and and that's the real because. I mean, with the SEC, it's a lot of it's division based and all these things. And but I'm trying to think how to put this. Like, if you, it's it really comes down to like the luck of your schedule. But in reality, there are eight programs in the. I guess what I'm trying to get at, there are eight programs in the SEC off the top of my head that like I genuinely would fear on a week to week basis in the Big Ten. And I'm a Big Ten guy, so this is not Big Ten slander. But if we're talking about like actual fear on a week to week basis, five, right? 
I think five yeah. would be my answer. And I'm, I'm not saying those like the six through ten aren't good programs. It's the same as the SEC in that sense, where the six through ten are pretty equal, I would say, but or something in that realm. But but it's just that idea that like Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia. I mean, like Texas A&M's like six or seven on a year to year scale, and Texas yeah. A&M would probably be I don't know three or four in the in the big 10 so it's just gonna really it's gonna require us to do so much relativism and like the only way to really rationally do this is like succumbing to the numbers but nobody like to being just a pure like sp plus data nerd like opponent adjusted rating kind of person but i don't think anyone the world's ever gonna come around to that so i just don't know how you do it and i'm glad i'm not the committee wrong brody the only way to do this is with a ton of television and radio sports shows where we endlessly heard. and unceasingly debate the topic until we arrive at a conclusion that uh, you know half the people are going to be happy with and half are not. That I'm is the only way. You know, Condoleezza Rice and the committee is just listening to off the bench on a morning and is being like, yep. "Jordy's making yep. good points." I don't know, but I mean, look, dude, the programming. If if this all does start to go off, we're all good, and season happens. These sports programming uh, people are going to be very happy though, because this will be yeah. an endless fount the of era. arguments. Yeah, um, yeah. Let, let 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 Stephen A. and Skip and Max and Shannon and the boys chop so, these up for the, for years. Okay. Well, where where do you want? You oh, got? well, I just want to say this. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to discuss it. But the other sad thing in this though, and I've been on Twitter, and then other people like yelled at them for even bringing it up on Twitter, and I forgot who actually brought it up, but. The other kind of sad consequence, though, is for those lower Power 5 schools. Is that, you know, I will use an example of an Ole Miss because I think that's what got it brought up. That is kind of sad because, I mean, I did like that, like, bowl eligibility for, you know, the Matt Luke era, for example, was like a a test of if you succeeded or not. You know, it's like, all right, you know, you went 6-6. and Like, things might be going in the right direction. You can win your kind of weak non-conference games and work your way up. And now it's like... Shoot, I think it's realistic to say Ole Miss will probably go two and eight or three and seven, and that's you know as much as we're talking about the playoff committee thing, which I mean obviously is more important, but it's almost going to be more interesting to see how we evaluate coaches and who we fire and all these things on the lower end of like what is success for Missouri, oh, you know, you know like yeah, because yeah, if yeah, you yeah, if yeah. like if Missouri goes three and seven, I mean if I'm just being really honest with myself, like. That doesn't really seem like a – first off, it's a first-year coach. I'm not saying get fired, but you get my point. Like, three and seven doesn't seem yes. like a fireable offense to me. It just doesn't because it, it, it would be like, well, they were underdogs in probably seven games this season or six. I don't know. So it's like that doesn't seem fair, but three and seven looks really bad. So I think yeah. that's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I mean, just look at Derek Mason. I mean, he's already yep. – on the hot seat, right? I mean, I think he is. I don't yeah. know. I don't. He's cover. always he's perpetually in like a warm seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So like, and 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 we were talking the other day about like biggest winners and losers and all this, and you have to feel like you said like Vandy and these other low teams are the huge losers. So yeah, how do you evaluate like a Derek Mason this year if they go one and nine or two and eight? Is that the luck of the draw? Is that just is what it is? Do you move on from him? That'll be. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Do you see any um, – so everything gets harder on everybody. We think it gets less hard on LSU because they had a good Texas game. Do you see any other, like, maybe even bigger winners in the SEC with this? Well, do you I wanna, feel like Texas do you want to talk kind LSU of a loser. now or do you want to talk, like, uh, full SEC now? Uh, I, I think let's, I, let's like kind of explore the full SEC. Yeah. Okay, so I think Alabama's a tricky one because – their schedule probably just got harder. 
I mean, you had USC, but other than that, it was a lot of cupcakes. So now, like, they yeah. actually have a much harder schedule because I'm almost operating under an assumption they're getting at least one of those. Th- I mean, they already have Georgia, but I have a feeling they're going to get another pretty tough East game. Yeah, um, maybe Florida. You know, who else jumps out to you? Well, I think A&M is a fascinating one, actually. I mean, they're our favorite team to discuss, but yes. <laughs> so, so we have to bring it up. But A&M, I actually I think, I think it's better, but hear me out for them. Because, okay, we talk so much about their schedule situation, and it, it's a win-lose because this was going to finally be the year where they had a reasonable schedule, right? Where it's like, finally, they, they you know, I, I don't, like, they can go 9-0 and to start the year, 10-0 and and start the year, and actually really run, like, control their destiny. But, on the other hand, they were set up to fail, as you and I, like, the most fascinating thing about their season is that they might go 10-0 and and then lose the last two, and then it will look like a complete collapse, even though that's a yeah. very ignorant way of looking at it. Well, now you you probably, if you're AM, if it's a strength of schedule-based schedule they put out, and which it seems like that's what it's going toward, correct? I think they're probably going to get another pretty hard opponent just because their schedule isn't that hard this year. That's going to be interesting because now it's like they get a little more benefit of the Dowdy. You know, it's like... Now maybe they go into those last two games with one loss, but one of those losses is I don't know Florida, and it's like okay, well that's you know that's a pretty good year for them so far. Well, or, or if they start eight and zero and and they beat a Florida and an Auburn, and all of a sudden it's like wow, they've actually proved it before they even get to those last two games. So the problem with that, Brody, is, and you're absolutely right on all fronts, uh, but the problem but, is that requires engaging with nuance. And I'm not guy. sure that uh, I'm not guy. sure that yeah exactly right. And I'm not sure that the the average SEC fan, myself included, is always down for nuance. And and so the expectations have already been set for A and M, right? And so although you are correct, that's good. Point. In that a move like this should bring expectations to a more realistic level, it it won't. And or at least I don't think it will. And You're then right. and then if they did start eight and zero, that might mean that the hype would be even higher than it would have well, been previously. And then if they lose those two, then it's like it's the same situation all over again. So. You, you, what you're saying is correct. I just don't know that the the general SEC fanhood is going to see it that way. I think this remains just a a huge year um, for A and M reputation wise. Uh, do you think that the SEC, when they schedule these new games, Brody, do you think that they'll try to do it from a competitive balance standpoint, like the NBA when they rescheduled? Right, uh, they looked at the remaining schedules that got canceled looked at winning percentages, and then tried to give a rough equivalent. That's why the Pelicans ended up with the easiest schedule in the bubble. Uh, it's not because they, they wanted Zion in the playoffs, so that is a very happy side effect if it can happen. Um, and and uh-huh. I'm not saying it didn't influence it. Uh-huh. Um, but, no, but they had the easiest schedule they did. in the I'm NBA when, did. when it got canceled, right? And yeah. then so they carried that over. The Grizzlies had the hardest, and they've given the Grizzlies a very – or one of the harder ones. They've given them a very hard schedule in this bubble. So, like, uh, do you think the SEC tries to do a, a, a similar thing deciding these last two opponents? That's just the sense I've gotten, and, and I, I think you have to because I think there will be so much, like – 
if you just do the next two opponents, which I actually kind of, pardon me, thinks that's just the smoothest way to do it because there is no perfect way. But but I, I think if you do it that way, then you're going to have people just, you know, I'm trying to think of some examples off the top of my head that I saw, but there's going to be some teams that are like, wow, that's BS. Now we have two massive new games to our schedule. Well, Florida, Florida, Florida's the big loser. That's they what would it was. Have Thank a- you. Yeah. A&M and Bama. Yeah, exactly. And like, and like the schedule's already their big advantage over Georgia. And so then they would add A&M and Bama, which, and that's why I can't be trusted to comment on this because I <laughs> want A&M and Bama to have to play Florida. And I think it's hilarious that Florida would then get added those two. So yeah, yeah it wouldn't, it wouldn't it. be fair to them at all. That, that's the thing. That's why I think you do need it, even though I am team, just do the next two. But I, I think you need it because if you're going to go, okay, let's do it. Think of it this way. If we're going like in an NFL style world, which it's, it's in some realm kind of close to that. You need competitive balance if you're doing a true standing style system. You know, I I just think you do, and and I think that's fair. And yeah, I think you just it's it's not it doesn't have to be that complicated. It could be like, hey, you know, this year, like for example, if it's last year and last year LSU's crossover game was Vanderbilt, that's a cupcake crossover game. So, but the other one's Florida. Like, you probably need that one of those two new opponents to be a Florida and like a Tennessee. You know, like I just or if it's Alabama, which always has. Most years is kind of the easiest crossover schedule. Like they re- they need a really hard one. You know, I, I just think I think that's the only. It's it's not too complicated. I think that's the fair way to do it. Yeah. So I'm going to be fascinated. See uh, the takes that I'm already predicting that I cannot wait for, and I will uh, support and fan the flames on are the guaranteed takes that LSU fans are going to feel like Nick Saban. Uh, got to the Birmingham office and like made oh, them get rid of Florida. And it's going to happen. And by the way, there's I can't probably. Wait. There's probably actually so much politicking going on, so it's not even like I think it's like it's not, not that wrong. crazy. Yeah, it's not. No, it's wrong. like not that crazy. Everybody's but I also don't want to hear right it. Now. It's it's a lose lose all around because I don't want to hear it, but I also know it's probably going on, and that's maybe that makes uh, me a coward. If you would like Am to send, if you would like to send your letters and your conspiracy theories to me. I am on Twitter at tbob53. Like I said, I will help you fan those flames because we all know that Nick Saban is in bed with Birmingham. Um, Brody, the the other okay. So, so the other big news out of the schedule change, outside of just being ten game conference only, which we asked we asked Coach Joe about that today, and it was pretty funny. I mean, not funny. He he was like, yeah, man. I mean, that's a it's a buckle up type of moment. Like it's it's week in and week out. That's going to be a grind. But the other thing is a September 26th start date. And so all of a sudden, you have now given essentially an extra month um, to these college football coaches who are obsessed notoriously with leaving no stone unturned and like trying to do as much preparation as possible. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how each team kind of walks that line between getting ready for the season with all this extra time and then not burning out or like physically overloading their players heading into that first game. Yeah, you know, I got a mailbag question about this last week and I kind of like brushed them off and kind of, but I, I think now the more I think about it, I'm like, hey, whoever asked that, I'm sorry because I actually think they might have been right that pushing back, he was the person was asking, like, does pushing back help an LSU team that is so unexperienced and need more practice time or does it hurt them because you know they are inexperienced and need game practice and the more I think about it I think it kind of helps LSU a little bit because it 
they they didn't have spring and having no spring just really hurt them while while spring for a team that's super experienced isn't you know in a relative sense isn't quite as important so i do think having extra time probably helps lsu that's more time for miles brennan to to just do stuff with his receivers more time for i don't know liam shanahan to learn how to play center all these kinds of things so i think it helps them but yeah the what you're talking about. I mean, it is going to be a really interesting thing to figure out that strategy because LSU is ahead of the curve and kind of knowing how to push really hard but then pull off and all those kind of things. That's one of Ed O'Shawn's greatest strengths. So I, I, I think LSU's probably, if I had to guess, going to go really hard really soon and then pull off the pull off the pull on the brakes a little. Yeah, bit. yeah, that would make sense. I, I think that's what you do. Absolutely, I, I think you hit that. Uh, you, you do like a little like two week camp period. Super physical, super tough, and then um, and then you enter a more of like a game week type of rhythm, and and you make sure that those guys are ready to go. But but as you said, already LSU's doing that. I mean, right now they are in the midst of a five game or a five day break that they did not have to give. Uh, Ogeron only gave it because uh, he said he wanted the team and the guys to have a few days off their feet before this grind begins anew. And it should be clear, they're supposed to report Sunday uh, yeah. for camp, but that's actually up in the air. Yeah. Um, there's been no official conference, like confirmation that camps are going to start on Monday. So we will uh, we will see. I'm sure we'll know by next Tuesday. We'll have a clearer picture of all that. Uh, Brody, anything else on this well, team game schedule before we move on? Well, we didn't even talk about how it affects LSU specifically. and I. And oh, I guess you're right. And this is something I just I really would love to discuss with you because I do find it really interesting. Is that okay? I'll, I'll get it going. In that LSU, I think, is one of the more interesting people whose season is going to be adjusted by this because okay, you have Texas. Okay, let's before they had Texas and then the three you know cupcake games, but Texas is a huge marquee game, and and the way it works with a huge marquee game is it helps you win or lose because if you win that game. Well, now you have a major top 20 win or top 15 win and to boost your schedule and boost your resume no matter what happens in SEC play. And it's, it's a huge thing. I for mean, you. Look, if, look at LSU last year, to exactly. your point. And if you lose, well, that means Texas, if, if Texas beats LSU in that scenario, it means that Texas just proved it's actually a top 10 team. Texas goes up to number six in the rankings. And all of a sudden, that loss doesn't look bad. It, it, I mean, depending on, obviously, it depends on the context of the whole season, of course. But still. Oh, yeah, I see but what like, you're saying. I've never yeah. really thought about that. Oh, I, that's why. I, <laughs> like you. <laughs> it it yeah, works both ways. And, and so and losing that game is really interesting. Because, okay, I think a lot of us are kind of operating under this assumption that I think we all have like a weird feeling it's going to be Tennessee and Kentucky as the two additions. Not just because yep. they're the next two games, but because of competitive balance, it makes the most sense. You're not going to throw Georgia on LSU's schedule. I'd be pretty shocked if that happens. Yep. And you're not going to put Vanderbilt because they just played them last year and they're the worst team. I Fair. think it could be Missouri. It's totally possible. But I think Tennessee, let's, let's just operate under a blanket assumption it's Tennessee and Kentucky just for easy. Yeah. Well... That's two teams that are pretty consensus based on if you look at SP plus, if you look at Phil, our, our good friend and friend of the pod, uh, Phil Steele's, uh, you know, rankings. They're both top thirty teams, and I think Tennessee is even more cons- consistently thought of as a top twenty five team. Well, that's two games though. That first off, you could totally lose. They're very losable games, but the not neither of them are good enough that they're defendable losses. So all mm. of a sudden, that makes because mm. you know I love thinking about the context and the narrative. 
that makes things so much just trickier and more landminey for the season for LSU because those are, you're getting two more games that you are firmly expected to win. You're probably a touchdown favorite in both of them. So if you win both those games, they don't look that impressive on a schedule. They just like like you're not using that as a resume piece. They don't look that impressive, and if you lose them, they look really bad. So I think. Mm. The, the schedule just got trickier. I'm not even saying it necessarily got harder, although it probably did. It got harder. But I'm saying it just got trickier because now you lose a little bit of oomph in your schedule. You hear that, people? That is why I love Birdie Miller. This is an angle that I had uh, had never really considered. Also, go ahead and add it to the college football playoff lexicon. We are now going to talk about defendable losses. Uh, and and, and you, are, you are absolutely right. I mean... Um, I, I I guess I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it could you could make the argument that it's almost a net negative losing that Texas game. Although I just assumed that it was a positive because it won't give you the hype. I, I will say this though, selfishly as a viewer, I still do love the idea of getting to uh, to see them against a Tennessee and a oh, Kentucky. Yeah. Actually, but, I, but 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 actually, I'm going to take back what I was going to say because I, see I would still take the yeah. Texas game yeah. over that, the rematch, third and 17 and all that. Well, you're talking... So yeah, Brody, you're right. But you're, you're right. talking to somebody it's, who loves the middle more than anybody. I don't think you're ever going to meet anybody who's more fascinated by middle <laughs> than I am. Like, I think talking about Alabama and Clemson's boring. I think getting into, like, is Kentucky, like, a nine-win team? Are they ready to jump over? That's what I enjoy about college sports, so I am always here for Tennessee and Kentucky. Give me yeah, the Tennessee like and a, uh, it's like a byproduct of being an Indiana fan. I wasn't uh, going to Indiana say it, football fan. Well, no, because they're I mean, the bottom. But you know. I get your point. Hey, but they're in the middle now. They are in the middle now. They're in the middle now, dude. Big times up in uh, uh, Bloomington, South Bloomington. Big times yeah, up in Bloomington. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. I was going to say South Bend, but I know you um, were. I know you were. I know. I was. Okay, actually, let's touch on that before we close out the show, real quick. Notre Dame in the ACC, huh? Yeah, huh? Kind uh-huh. of exciting. I love it. I love it. No, I mean, well, the funny thing is, I think Pete Sampson, our was the one who pointed this out, our Notre Dame beat reporter, but he's like. He's like, I think Notre Dame's schedule actually just got easier by joining a conference, and it totally did. Yes, but, it absolutely did. But still, I mean, yes, that part's a bummer. They are, we are losing some of those fantastic traditional Notre Dame matchups, but, man, it's going to be so fun to see them actually just competing in, a, in standings. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. I don't even know what it's like to think of in, as Notre Dame in standings. It's not a thing I've lived with in my life. So to be like, man, like they're one game back on Clemson, do you think like that? Watching a Clemson-Notre Dame ACC battle, no matter what your thoughts are on Notre Dame, it just adds intrigue. And I'm really bummed. The bummer is we don't get Notre Dame versus North Carolina. Because I think that would have been, like, the best one to add in there. But, hey, you get what you get. But still, all of a sudden, the the ACC is just I care a little bit more about that on a week-to-week basis. Where it's like, all right, they they at least have, I would say, four teams I genuinely am interested to follow this year. And last before, I think they had. Who's your fourth? Notre Dame, Clemson, North Carolina. And who's your fourth? I might have been bluffing on having four. Okay, well, oh, all you say is Virginia oh, Tech Virginia and Tech? Virginia. Yeah. Well, and Virginia. Virginia, I mean, Virginia was good last year. Are they I not going to be good again this year? Yeah. Uh, so, but but even Virginia Tech and Virginia feel like a just slightly lower tier to me than the big three. I like how I'm putting UNC now in the big three, but Mac Brown's done a hell of a job. I mean, it's a top 20, like it's a top 20, 25 team. So, yeah, they're yeah. the only other one. Um, I will say this. One thing I like about this move, the ACC is getting rid of divisions. And although I like divisions well, like that can be fun. I also like I think the simplicity I've, of looking at a standings and just knowing that the top two teams are going to uh, go to the conference championship. Yeah. as much. I mean, I love divisions, just like you said, as much as the next guy. But I do kind of think the SEC having divisions still just seems a little weird. 
because like if you're trying if you're having more crossover and there's no way to make all the crossover equal then what are we doing with that i don't know but I, yeah i guess does that guarantee though that we get two clemson notre dame games this year Hmm. Well, if we're or are you high enough on North Carolina no, to say that point. they'll upset that? Yeah, I guess that. No, I think you're probably right, and that is probably the most likely scenario. So I guess that is. I guess Clemson's a winner out of all this, though, because Clemson's resume just got better after you know last, like the last two years being like, well, they haven't played anybody all year. Now they now they actually have a little more competition. So Clemson a gains a defendable loss as well as a potential launching point. Uh, which is and, and honestly, I'm, I'm excited for them to have at least like some form of a challenger in the ACC. It's been too long. I'm with you. Um, so that's really cool, man. If like I said, if college football can pull this thing off, uh, we could be due for a very fun and very fascinating year full of subjective arguments about the value of losses in respective conferences and who's actually the best team. Um, and I don't even say that tongue in cheek. Like I'm, I'm here for all of that talk. Um, okay, Brody, on the way out here, uh, me and you are both, okay, so if it, look, if you love college football, this is a Hold That Podcast podcast, athletic.com slash Hold That Podcast, 40% off sign-up deal. couple minutes here at the end, though. Live sports are back. Baseball is nice. I'm trying to get into the Braves. We're flirting, texting a little bit. Like, you know, I grew up a diehard Braves fan, so we have a past relationship. You're Snapchatting. She's a little overwhelming. She's kind of hitting me up every single day. I'm like, look, I got a lot going on right now. I don't know. Like, just maybe a little space. Um, but there's also one of my old flames that I'm always hounding after, and that is the NBA. The NBA is back. The bubble is working great. Also, the bubble, why everybody went conference only, right? Yes. All this is about controlling the variables. Why is the bubble so much more successful than like the MLB? Less variables. Anyway, bubble's back. Pelicans, as we sit today, I'm very happy. Things turned around after a rock-bottom moment against the Clippers on Saturday. Brody, you're a big Sixers fan. How are you feeling about the bubble so far? Well, I think with well, the reason I really—I mean, first off, we just love the NBA, so we wanted to talk it for at least a few minutes. But I think what I really want to talk about is both of us have had just like a roller coaster few days of emotions because yes, you for a Pelicans perspective, and I mean, I'm not a technical Pelicans fan, but I live in New Orleans. Like, I love watching good basketball. I'm probably about to pull the pull the trigger on some season tickets. So, like, I, I yes. generally like the Pelicans. So. You had a roller coaster because you had the Jazz game, which was a fascinating game, and you know you kind of gave it away and blew it. But at the same time, like it's a, it's a fine loss, and then just look like absolute dog poo poo against the Clippers. Garbage. And you tried texting me that night about something innocent. I was trying to be lighthearted, I, yeah. And I had gotten way more drunk than I intended to at uh, the pool, and I, w- I was talking to my neighbor Alan, who was you there with the grandkids me. for like hours like we had a great time but yeah what it led to is i was very quick to rage saturday and they enraged me what did you even text me i don't even remember i actually texted you a preliminary question about me doing uh about me getting season tickets and <laughs> you were like not now or something like oh you said f off in all caps and then i responded in all caps i wasn't talking trash so like you just assumed i was talking trash but yeah, I was very so, defensive. I was very defensive. I understand. So, okay, but then they obviously come back with a pretty impressive win against the Grizzlies, and obviously that's the most important standings win of all. So, where are you at in this roller coaster week right now? 
Uh, I feel great. I feel great. From from the beginning, I said in their eight-game schedule, they needed to split one of the first two. Then they had to go 5-1 and one with a must-win over the Grizzlies. They almost did that. Um, beating, if they could have beat the Jazz, it would have been great. They didn't, though. So now their margin of error is super tight. I, I still don't think they make but, it just because it's too mad. But th- everything since that 40-point Clippers lost, everything has come up Pelicans. Like all the teams that you needed to lose have lost, even to the point where the Spurs winning would have been bad and they had this crazy comeback. And then Shake Milton manages to hit the three. I guess you could say that both the Pelicans and Milton shook back after a tough weekend. And, uh, and yeah, and yeah, so like all of a sudden there is renewed hope because you just look at the standings and they are still in a prime position more importantly, to gain the, the nine seed. Yeah, 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 and they have the easiest schedule from here because on out. The, 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 the Grizzlies the are 0 be, 3. Yeah. The, the Grizzlies are 0 3 against losing record teams. The Pelicans will only play teams with losing records from now on. The Pelicans will be favorites in every game going forward. Yes. And also, like, I'm, I'm, I tend to think of this way, but I think going through what the Pelicans did the last week probably puts them in a good situation going forward, like a little bit of like a highs and lows, and now they're in a solid place. You know what I mean? Like a wake up. Yes, while like, definitely. You know, I think the Grizzlies are probably just in a dark place, and the Grizzlies, honestly, <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at it like I think the Grizzlies are probably underdogs in every game they play going forward. So let's say they go one and four and two and three, and the Pel- Pelicans. I mean, I don't think the Pelicans are going to go five and zero, oh, but I think four and one should be the expectation going forward. So yep. suddenly the Pelicans look like a genuine favorite to make the playoffs again when it looked genuinely dire just three days ago. Yeah, so we actually had my guy Schmidt Dua at Fear the Brown uh, on the show this morning. He writes for Bourbon Street Shots, and his bold proclamation was that. Um, was that the Grizzlies will not be in the 8-9 play-in scenario. That it will be Pell's Blazers. And that does seem, with the 0-3 start, unfortunately, that does seem how it's shaping up. If you're a Memphis fan, though, you're fine. Your future looks good, dude. Your future looks good. You got to... Jared Jackson... Arguably more of a sure thing future than the Pelicans. I mean, like, because you know... It's close. I mean, you have two legitimate, like, sure thing stars. I think Pelicans uh, have like have like Brandon Ingram is already an All Star. Zion Williamson transcendent. Lonzo running the point. I will actually disagree. I think the Pelicans' future is oh, like I, 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 one I of the brightest the Pelicans, futures in the NBA. I think the Pelicans have a brighter future. I was just saying like there's a little. I think there's still like this weird ambiguity with the Pelicans of like. There's, like, six guys you really like, but, like, you have Zion, who is an injury question mark. I'm not, like, criticizing him. I think he's going to be amazing. I love Zion. But, like, you have all those questions with him, and then and then you just have, like, a lot of guys like Lonzo and guys like that who are, like, good, but I don't think, like, they're going to – they're all-stars or anything like that. There's just a weird thing going. Well, like, all I meant, all I meant to say was the Grizzlies, like, you know for sure – you have two just like real superstars on your hands, and there's just comfort in that. That's all I meant. But yes, I think the Pelicans have a better setup. Brandon Ingram, Zion, Williams, he's awesome. Oh my god, superstars! Actually, to be honest, as a Pels fan, that was the my biggest takeaway was that the fact that they both made the plays in the fourth made me happy because getting those two to work together is some they're still figuring out. Brody, as we wrap up here, your yeah, Sixers go. in the East. Just became the first team since 1993 to allow back-to-back for, uh, 40-plus point fourth quarters. How are you feeling about your Sixers? I honestly didn't know that stat, so thanks for that. No, I mean, I'm in a dark <laughs> place, man. I mean, they won. I mean, 
they won last night, and that was that was great. But it's it's a sad because it, I mean I spent the last like three weeks just and you know me like I'm like a relativist like context person like at my core, so I'm not somebody who gets like irrationally optimistic almost ever. And I'm just like really been talking myself into like all right, man, Simmons is shooting threes. They got Shake Milton coming in for Al Horford. I think everything's gonna flow. I'm like I don't know, man. I think they're actually a team that can win the East if things click. And now I'm just like two games in. I'm like. Oh no 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 no! This is bad. <laughs> this is this is dark. I mean, they're just a mess, and the defense is a mess. Which they're supposed to have the best defense in the NBA. That's not happening. Off. I mean, Embiid's playing out of his mind on offense, but the, he's still Ben Simmons doesn't look like himself at all. I mean, he's probably going to be first team All NBA, and he's does not look like it through two games so far. So I'm just in a really sad place because he just. You know, it's a team that I watched purposely lose for like four or five years to get to this point, and now it's just they they butchered it. So, I'm hey, gonna... hey, 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 trust the process, okay? Fortunes can change drastically in the bubble. Trust look the process the is a young man's game because uh, look at look at Shake Milton. Shake Milton had one of the worst games ever. He had like the first game. I want to say he had like five turnovers and. No points and like and it was in like four fouls in like fifteen or sixteen minutes and then he comes back to last night gives you like sixteen clean game no turnovers game winning three uh, the Sixers Sixers still got a little let's just know, see man. where they go dude here's what I'll say I mean you know when you're a kid and like you see parents or like adults and you're like man like where does their hope go you know you're just like man like I, I like why are they so grumpy like man life's good why aren't they more you know, like and then like <laughs> and then you get then you get older and you're like man like. Today sucks, and you're just like, all right, maybe, you know, maybe maybe life isn't that optimistic, and that's yeah. You know, I was like 18 when the process started, so I'm like, man, why are people hating on the process? This is genius. This is visionary. Everything's gonna go well, and then you know you get now I'm 20, about to be 26, and I'm just like, that was a dumb plan. Uh, shit's dark. <laughs> that, things don't work. So that's where I'm gonna end on. And that negative note you're is right, I get on my dude. Peloton. Uh, well, hey, good luck on the Peloton, and um, I can't wait to see, uh, yeah, I can't wait to watch the rest of this bubble, as well as the rest of this college football season. This is the Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, I'm telling you all, sign up for The Athletic. Brody has great work up right now, um, or all the time, right nice. now, uh, as I pull it up. Uh, he has LSU's biggest preseason question, and go check that out. Uh, great graphic on the front. And uh, and really just the whole site. I, I go to it for all sports. It's it's the best. Athletic.com slash hold that podcast. 40% off. And buy your meats at A Bear Specialty Meats in Bocage if you are living in Baton Rouge. Um, thank you so much, Brody. You have a great day. All right, you too, man. Take care. All right, we will see y'all next week on the Hold That Podcast Podcast.